Hey, would you like us to read a story of your choosing? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and fill out the web form at the Contact Us link. If you submit a story there that is available to read on Marvel Unlimited, we will consider it for a future episode of the show. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Uh, so, so it's the Cirque du Soleil show from Vegas, but on top of that, it's also they they remixed a lot of the songs for for Love. Um, but the people that did the remixing were actually the original producer George Martin and his son. Um, so they remixed all of the songs. They kind of went to the masters that they had, and kind of remixed them for the for the show, and or remastered some of them as well. But they, for a lot of the songs, or not a lot, like a few of them, they used like demos and B sides that they had. Um, mm-hmm. So the version of "Love," of a uh, of my, while my guitar gently weeps, is from a from a demo that George Harrison recorded that. Uh, George Martin just added uh, like violins and music, like uh, other music on top of it, and it's beautiful. Awesome. If you have Spotify or Google Music or yes, Amazon, I'm music, actually Spotify pulling it up right now. Listen to it. Um, I think Spotify also added the it's got the, the Apple the Apple exclusive um uh a song. I think it was Girl. They added it to the end of the album. Let me see. Get back. Yeah, Girl. Yeah. I, I still, like, I'm trying to go through the, like, when, well, I just remembered, uh, it had been a while since I'd listened to Fratelli's. I don't know if you guys listened to Fratelli's, but I really love Fratelli's. Mm-hmm. Um, their first album's great. But anyway, uh, when I'm not remembering old albums like that, I am trying to, like, systematically work through the Beatles and put together, like, all, like, my number one playlist, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big job. There's a lot of good stuff, but I just went by get yeah. get back. That's a great song. But Sergeant Pepper's still my favorite. Yeah. Um, so so they have some really good mixes because they've combined a lot of the songs in love. But yeah. I think my the thing that gets me every time it sends chills down my spine, is they start off with uh with like an a cappella version of because, uh-huh. um, but then when it goes into get back, they do that big minor E key from uh. A day in the life that that hits and it goes straight into get back right straight into like that little dun 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 da, 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 uh, little drum thing and it's it's so good it's if you haven't listened to it I recommend you like pop that into your car or or wherever I think I I think I was like oh this is covers I'm not gonna bother with it until I've like finished all the originals but yeah no this is a complete like re remixing of of a lot of the music it's it's uh dang it john like it, it my heart like swells when i talk about love <laughs> I, I also have it's it's a deeply emotional thing for me like my dad and i bonded over the beatles together like when i was a kid he had the anthology dvds um and i remember for a little while he was watching them so i would come home from school 
and just like watch whatever like he was wrapping up with the DVDs. Um, so he and I bonded over the Beatles a lot, and the first time like thing or like vacation thing my dad and I ever did together, like just him and me without like my mom or my sister, was in Vegas go watch Love. Uh-huh. So it's a big deal for me. I love it. All right, well, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We are here tonight to talk about some comics. I always say tonight. Like, I assume everybody listens to this episode right when we record it, but we record on kind of a weird schedule, so, like, it's still July while we're recording this. But by the time people hear it, it will no longer be that. Steven, would you, would you say July to the people? <laughs> I... I can't agree with that because the pun doesn't work in the first person. <laughs> Shy lie to people. Wow. I think it's pronounced high lie and you. <laughs> it's like pickleball's dirty cousin. Oh gosh. I'm Steven and I've got John and Aldo on the line with me as always. Guys, you ready to talk about some comics tonight? Oh boy, howdy. I mean, we're one hour to die. What if I was like, no, tonight I want to talk about like D&D. There's another podcast for that. There are many podcasts for that. There are legions of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like actual play podcasts are their own genre at this point. Yeah. And I blame you, Stephen. I didn't know that was a thing until you told me about a little show called The Adventure Zone. And you turned me into an addict. You should should try peddling drugs. You're welcome. Yes. I am grateful. But I'm saying like... It was from unaware of something existing to addiction, strong, hardcore addiction. So, Hey, on the plus side, not just the first hit, all of them are free. That is true. That is true. So tonight we've got a bit of a MCU Phase 4 special where we're talking about stories that are intended to feature characters from Marvel's Phase 4. We... Tackle the story that has Shang-Chi in it, not knowing that there aren't really a whole lot of stories out there about him at this point. At least not any that are currently available. And we've also got the Eternals that we'll be reading. So, John, why don't you start us off by talking about Heroes for Hire. Let's go back to 2006 during uh, the Civil War storyline crossover event. Ah, yes. My great-grandfather fought in that. (laughs) I mean, maybe. <laughs> have you done your family history? I think I, I have relatives that did, but I'm, I'm a little afraid. I don't know which side they were on. Er. I don't know if they were Starks or uh, Rogers, man. <laughs> they better be Roger. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Civil War comes down to, uh, what, if you're familiar with the name of our podcast, the Superhuman Registration Act um, inspired the name of our podcast. And that was passed and required all those possessing paranormal abilities to register with the government, divulge their true identities to the authorities, and submit to training and sanctioning in the matter manner of federal agents. Anyone with superpowers who refuses to register is now a criminal, like Captain America. Some heroes, such as Iron Man, see this as a natural evolution of the role of superhumans in society and a reasonable request. Others, like Captain America, who were right view the act as an assault on their civil liberties and go underground to form a resistance movement. And then there's a third category of heroes. Heroes for hire. So, uh, I wasn't reading the splash page. You were. Whatever. Shut up. (laughs) Hey, it's an easy summary. Yeah, we read the three-part tie-in of Heroes for Hire. So, 
basically Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, Humbug, who has the ability to control, speak to and control insects, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, Tarantula, and Black Cat are the heroes for hire, and they have a few other um, questionable individuals, other street-level heroes they bring into the action, but they are kind of in the middle of this conflict. They sympathize with Captain America, but they find themselves on Iron Man's side. Um, and I, how do I describe this? They are going after bad guys, trying to be kind of mediators in this situation. Um, they feed gold to a dragon at some point to track down Captain America. And if that's not your bag, then we can't hang out because man, <laughs> that was wild. So heroes for hire or as two pages in, I just referred to them as the cleavage squad. They're all over the place. Whoa. I mean, c- come on. Let's let's just be honest with ourselves about you know um, this I, f- I found I, f- I mean this basically follows kind of the ups and downs of the of the uh, Civil War arc um, Heroes for Hire they help Cap get away because they're upset about Goliath dying um, Bill Foster uh, who famously was blasted in the chest by a robot Thor and then was buried in the ground in a tarpon chains you keep bringing that up like like. There's a more respectful way to bury a giant. Uh, the chains might not have been great. I mean, that does come up, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's not good. It's not good. So, anyhow, Heroes for Hire. Um, the more this went on, the more I was okay with it. Because at first, it was kind of like a really bad, like, I felt like I was being talked down to, and it was like, okay, we're superheroes, and we're, and, and, and I do this, and that, and it was just, just bad dialogue, and I just didn't care for Misty Knight, and then the more it went on, and the more it was, like, interesting, bringing up points of conflict on each side of the issues of Civil War, and so it got a bit more interesting as it went on. Um, it kind of just ended, though, with... Like, they, they found out that there are some people who are skirting the whole issue by using scroll DNA to give themselves shape-shifting powers so that they aren't the same uh, villains or heroes as they were before, and so they can they don't have to register because they, uh, you know, don't officially exist because they've changed themselves just slightly or can change themselves as they need to. And I assume that that's what the Heroes for Hire will be going after in later issues, but we just read the three issues uh, that tie into the Civil War arc. Um, I thought the the writing got better for me. I was more interested in the story um, and you know how they debated these issues because um, we get some you know good moments with all the the key players. We you know Mister Fantastic, uh, Captain America, Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man, and uh, Spider Man as well. Um, Luke Cage pops up for a bit. A few other little, you know, name checks to other superheroes, and and Master of Kung Fu Shang Chi himself gets a, you know, um, couple of cool moments, but not, you know, enough to really say that I know much about the character now. But mm-hmm. um, there's potential, I think, for a cool movie if you know he just can wallop on everybody with his kung fu skills. Um, I thought the art was, you know, house style it was okay, but very like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I'm just looking at the last panel like I was just bringing it up in the, like the last panel of the first issue in the like the sorry excuse me the last page of the first issue the first panel here like it's just there's a lot of Misty's butt it's just like 
that's a butt. It's just these are her her suit is just painted on. It's just very like like every every chance that there is for for yeah it's yeah just, no the, there's a lot of like cheesecake really yeah. I don't want to say the word is exploitative but like it almost I mean what, what, on what page was it where I like rolled my eyes super hard it was page eleven of the first issue the bottom right panel. Where like Spider Man has something to say, but you know our our shot that frames it is Misty's hip and oh my gosh, that's her hip and boob and in profile. Yeah, and gun. That Don't is, forget the that gun. Is, oh yeah, I guess there is a gun. That is not really a recognizable image of of Misty Knight. I mean, speak for yourself. After this point, that's all I recognize her from. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See what you've conditioned you me for. <laughs> Do you know what this reminds me of, actually? What's that? Like, Gail Simone has this run on Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah. DC Comics that was really good. Mm -hmm. But it also had a lot of this same sort of, like, really over-the-top cheesecake art. Which, again, like, we've kind of touched on the cheesecake issue a lot. And I don't really want to drive that into the ground too much. Yes. But also, like... It kind of undercuts the story that they're trying to tell because these characters, their provocative dress or sexuality is definitely highlighted by the art, but it's not really playing into the story in any meaningful way. It's not really even informing the characters in any meaningful way. Which yeah. That was the same problem that held back Gail Simone's Birds of Prey run, and I think it's a very similar issue here. It's not that that's necessarily a bad decision to make, and... It just is distracting from a story that otherwise is actually, like, competent. Yeah. The more the more we read and the more of these books that kind of come up, the less I try to talk about it. But I'm, I'm, I think I found the middle ground where really the only times I want to bring it up are the points where, like, I roll my eyes at, like, how yeah. hard they're trying to do, like, this cheesecake stuff. Like, on that first big group shot of, like, Misty Knight and the Heroes for Hire... Like, she has these little arrows that come up from her shirt, like, right on her nipples. And it's yeah. like... Oh my gosh, yeah, what the heck was that about? Yeah. I'm like, it's like, okay. I remember that. The The rest of this thing, like, it's like, it's, okay, fine. But then, like, in issue two, it's it's not even like a... Like, like the pose isn't what it's supposed to be. Like, in page six, like, it feels like I'm just looking at a pinup of Misty Knight in front of Iron Man. Yep. And not oh, yeah. necessarily somebody holding back or trying to talk to somebody. It just, it just kind of feels like just a pinup, and it's like, okay, <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, are you guys familiar with these writers? Yes, Palmiotti and Gray. Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're prolific. They're really good writers. Are. I think we found out yeah. recently that Palmiotti used to be a penciler. I think we had a conversation yep. about this. He mentioned it on, on Twitter, and I've yet to see him pencil. Yeah, I, I've never seen any of his his art books either. Uh, he, let me think. There was something in particular that Gray and Palmiotti have done, and I think it's something, Aldo, that you and I have talked about, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. We've had a lot of these conversations. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely have. <laughs> I know, I know I like them because they're really good at characterizing and for kind of male writers, they're actually pretty good at, um, like Joss Whedon, they're, they're really, they're pretty decent at writing female characters. 
Um, it was Power Girl. Power Girl, yeah. Power Girl is one of my favorite yeah. runs that they... Uh, like, their particular... Like, I think it's 12-issue run on Power Girl is probably one of my favorite DC comics I've read in a while. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty solid. It's fun. It's goofy. It does a lot of stuff with the, you know, sort of provocative, sexy camp that Power Girl tends to evoke. That's all that she... I mean, I know that she's like a Supergirl, but... All I know about her is that there's like the boob window in her in her costume. It's ridiculous. So the thing about their run on it is that she really kind of embraces that without making it seem like I don't know I don't know what the word I'm looking for like like she embraces it without it seem, seeming forced. Like it feels like a natural thing for the character to do, mm-hmm. um, which is something I'm typically pretty I don't know trepidatious about when it comes to male writers writing sexy female heroes for empowerment um but i think they handled it well because it's very tongue-in-cheek uh, and now that you've brought that up i'm a little disappointed that doesn't that writing doesn't really come up in here there's really not a whole lot of tongue-in-cheekness about the way they look with the exception of the fight against like vienna where yeah. she calls, yeah. calls them out for wearing what they're wearing yeah which feels a little like it, it's less like it's uh, you know, a fun banter between heroes and villains and more of a, like, girls being being catty to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is a choice. <laughs> not not sure it's a great one, but it's the choice it's, they made. It's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think my problem with this is, you know, I'm really not a super fond of, of the art. I mean, the art is good. I'm just not super fond of, like, the female choices. It's not my. It's not my preference. Um, yeah, not anymore. I think. I think ten years ago, I probably would have been way all up in this book. But uh, we're woke now. <laughs> um, yeah, we're woke. <laughs> uh, however, I I will say that the things I do like about this book, um, John mentioned that we get a really good point of view from Misty Knight and her people, kind of in the middle of all this. Uh, especially Miss, and I kind of wish I would have driven it home a little bit more with Misty, kind of talking about her being. You know, being a black woman in America. And a black cop, too, by the way. Yeah. Because uh, that kind of gets brought up, but it kind of gets dropped as quickly as it got brought up. Um, yeah. And I kind of wish they would have driven that home a little bit more. I think this would have been a really good opportunity for that. Um, but yeah. And I don't know. I, I also really like... I don't want to say I like it because I like Iron Man, especially... I mean, what I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't like the way it comes out because... I like Iron Man now as a character, especially the way he's been re- written in recent years. Uh, but boy, does he come across as a huge butt wagon in this. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so today there was some Twitter drama about apparently Joe Russo wanted Iron Man to die in Avengers Endgame because he doesn't like the character of Iron Man and people are furious about it. And I'm just sitting here like, I came into comics during Civil War. Nobody <laughs> liked Iron Man. Yeah. No. And so, yeah. Uh, I think it was the, a nice end to the 10 years of the MCU, 11 years, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was That's like, a likable Iron Man. It felt, it felt, I don't know, the moment felt earned. It felt like it was mm-hmm. fitting, you know. And, yeah. And, yeah. and that's, and I, I have a lot of complaints about the MCU influences in the comics. Um, a lot of complaints. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. a lot of complaints. Um, but uh, <laughs> Iron Man's kind of recharacterization 
has been kind of one of my one of my favorite things about the MCU influences on comics. Um, Iron Man's come across a little bit more sympathetic. Um, before it used to be a very much like a, I'm doing the right thing because I know what the right thing is and the world doesn't, and I you know I will bear that cross. Uh, but lately, he feels more more like he's genuinely trying to do the right thing, not because he's a smart guy, but because. Like that's just kind of his responsibility, his kind, his kind of his duty as a superhero. Granted, I haven't read all of Iron Man, so I don't know if that's come across more naturally or if it's just been an MC, a solely an, an an MCU influence. Well, I know that after Civil War, there was a great effort made to rehabilitate Iron Man. Like I, I remember reading the comics press about this. I didn't actually read the story myself, but there was a lot of talk about a, an Iron Man story arc where Stark had to wipe his own memory and kind of rebuild himself, which was seen as this sort of metatextual atonement for, you know, Civil War. And again, like, it's interesting to read this story, to bring the conversation back to Heroes for Hire, and see the portrayal of Tony Stark as someone who is at least believably sensible but making a lot of dumb decisions even in this story where misty and presumably the readers are supposed to give stark the benefit of the doubt he comes off looking really bad Mm-hmm. yes and i just think that's interesting it's like even when we're on your side we're not on your side yeah what's wrong with you yeah so we, we picked this story specifically because it featured Shang-Chi guest in starring, a way right? that guest starring. Filling up space in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, he he does play like a pretty big part at the end, but. In the middle, too, the whole like feeding gold to a dragon thing. That was a Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. Which Why do I keep that was pretty that? that was pretty rad. <laughs> like. <laughs> like street level heroes just doing their thing you know fighting criminals and stuff like that and it's like huh our normal our normal methods of uh you know detection are not doing that well let's go feed gold to a dragon i like oh by uh, the way he can't poop the dragon can't poop it has to eat gold and it just gets more and more bloated because it can't get rid of it so the thing that's interesting to me about about shang chi in this story is that he's given a lot to do but we don't know a thing about him after he's done it all at least that was the impression i got he acts a lot but that action doesn't really give us any insight into his character and i think unfortunately that comes down to him not necessarily being a part of the main cast of the book even though even though he's kind of portrayed at it as it in the beginning like he's there in the group shot um it really doesn't feel like he's part of the main cast he doesn't have a whole lot of speaking lines like you mentioned we don't know anything about him we don't really know his motivation um or his history or, or, or anything really um and he doesn't really voice much of it and it's just kind of like he's just kind of there and you can really feel that the main cast here isn't even a cast. This is Misty's book. This is Misty Knight's book from beginning to end. I want to take this one step further. And it's not just that, that Shang-Chi's not the star of this book. It's that he hasn't really been in the Marvel Universe at all. 
I like have been flipping through his his Wikipedia article, you know, trying to see his publication history, and it really seems like this is about the first time or one of the first times that he was brought into the Marvel universe proper. That's and unfortunate. So there's, yeah, there's not a whole lot of history with this character. We don't know what makes him tick. We don't know who he is, what he wants out of life. You know, it it's it's a very very narrow portrayal of this character. Um, because he's not been defined, and this book doesn't take the time to define him. Now, it does some interesting things. Uh, like, I, I agree with John. I think the, the gold-eating dragon that can tell you where Captain America is hiding is probably one of the most interesting things to happen in this book. But that's more because this is a supposedly a character from Chinese folklore, not because it says anything interesting about the Marvel Universe in particular or Shang-Chi. And so it gives us this peek into this other world, but it's, you know, another world that it isn't really even rooted in the comic. Now, to be fair, I don't actually know. Is this, is this, do we know if this uh, Chinese gold-eating, never-pooping dragon is actually, you know, a figure from real-world mythology? My dude, if it's not from Japan, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like... I'm really, assume... really scared to put in gold-eating dragon that never poops into Google because... <laughs> I think that's yeah. fair. And then, like... What is his, I... what is his name? Do you have it's, it there? In, yeah. Do you have it that that exact page? It looks like Shang Chi calls him the Pixiu, P I X I U. Hey, that is a I real know. thing. I I read a lot of Hellboy, so I just assume that people who write comics have actually done their homework and are citing actual mythology. But that is maybe not a safe assumption to make. It's real. Uh, I I did type in Chinese dragon that eats gold with no butthole. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it is it is a real thing. Head of a, a head of a dragon, body of a lion, pair of feathered wings, like a chimera, but yeah. Chinese, you know. Uh, what what is important is the notion that this because it's a talisman, it's a thing you should have in your home, is that this creature will not permit wealth to leave the home or workplace. Wards off That's evil a, spirits. It's especially popular among business people, investors, and gamblers in Asia. All right, neat. Comics are educational. That's what we've learned today. Boy, I haven't learned this much since I wondered what the crap is a Sephiroth. <laughs> oh, Final it's Fantasy. Not just a bad guy in Final Fantasy? No, as it turns out. Oh. It's actually something from Jewish, Jewish mythology. Oh, I see. <laughs> in a fit of rage, the Jade Emperor smacked him hard on his buttock. The smack had a serious consequence. From that moment on, the anus of Pishu would be forever sealed. Oh man, do I need to put the explicit label on here for the word anus? I know it's not an explicit word, but it, it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> After See, last now, episode, I, I think we've already we've already broke that bridge. Steve, I think you're being <laughs> oh, really anal about what we classify as mature. Okay, what else can we talk about <laughs> with this comic book that is a comic that we read? Wait, that, I didn't get a chance guys. to do my I didn't get a chance to do my bit. Please do your bit. <laughs> you Gotta re- gotta get oh, you gotta you gotta stick up your butt, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Uh, anything else we want to say about Heroes for Hire? The bug guy not, was funny. Not if it's gonna. Yeah, the bug guy was funny. So the bug guy is interesting to me because we read New Warriors. Yeah, it's you know? my. It's like microbe kind of. It's microbe again. Yeah.
And nothing nothing wrong with Microbe necessarily, except he died, and so they killed Microbe to replace him with another guy who basically has the same power as Microbe. I mean, I guess Microbe was actually like germs and not bugs, but... but... Yeah, basically. I don't know. He, he at least was, you know, excited to, you know, he saluted Captain America. That was funny. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. He you know, fanboyed. Was a was a criminal trying to make things right, you know, but yeah, still. But they're both kind of like the the put upon guy with the gross powers that is actually more competent and interesting than he's given credit for within the pages of the book that he appears in. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah, there's a niche that they they both fill. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's just the fact that they both featured in these Civil War-adjacent stories that made me look at that parallel. They're probably not all that similar, but they do seem a little redundant. Yeah. Also, I don't I don't know if that way that, like, Catwoman or Black Cat stands on every other page is... Is that really comfortable or stable? Like, No, no. it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that, seems, that seems really uncomfortable. Like, I'm trying it out right now as we speak, and I am... I would not stand that way. <laughs> Although won't stand for this. <laughs> well, I would I would assume that you're not trying to display your cleavage like she does. I mean, I was I was into it, man. I was trying. Got yeah, against character. You do, you do you if you really want to, but yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. Am I gathering from this that we're done talking about heroes for hire? Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of yeah. just. Well, that sure was a Civil War tie-in, and there's some good, <laughs> but, like, eh. There's some good ideas in there, and it, but it just doesn't explore them, really. Yeah. Well, and I think, I like, in, in John's summary, he kind of hit on it. There's all this stuff with the scrolls, organs being uh, implanted in people, and, like, that's very clearly the hook that's meant to get you to continue reading Heroes for Hire, the problem is I don't feel like this book delivers on a story enough for me to want to read how that story arc plays out necessarily. Well, Steven, I think the real hook here is all the gratuitous booty and booby shots. And if you're not down for that, I mean, is this book even for you? No, he's getting, all, not. He's getting all bent out of shape. <laughs> bent, <laughs> bent over and... Uh... Oh, man. You really had to work it for that pun, didn't you? I was only half paying attention. I just saw my opportunity and I went for it. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate that. I think it's time that we turn our attention to much more intellectual fare. Okay, so Eternals, also a Civil War tie-in, weirdly. Didn't expect that. I think it was just, it just takes place at the same time as, but does not, you know, rely on, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a tie-in. Don't sully, don't sully this book with... With, you know... With witch words. Yeah. There's enough problems with the art. (laughs) There's definitely an intention, like, a lot of references to Civil War in this story. Yeah, yeah. Eternals, this is is written by Neil Gaiman with art primarily by John Romita Jr., a divisive (laughs) figure on this podcast. (laughs) I don't know, I like him. Well, everyone has the right to be wrong. <laughs> so let's let's get the summary out of the way here. Eternals, as a high concept, these are uh, a race of people that were created by the Celestials, who are basically the Marvel Universe's equivalent of 
Lovecraftian deities. They created uh, different sentient species, but there's no real understanding of why they did that. They don't seem to care about the species they created, and every now and again they come back and, and make a real mess of things. So two of these species that they created are the Deviants, uh, a race of beings. No two of them are similar in any way. They're all, like, super monstrous. And then there are the Eternals. They're a much smaller group of immortal super beings with superpowers. The Immortals have all... Or the Eternals, rather, have all forgotten who they are. So this story follows... Mark Curry, who is a medical student who starts to receive unsolicited visits from this crazy man named Ike Harris. These these names are very deliberate. When that clicked, I was like, ha. <laughs> Just. Like, uh, yeah, wait, anyway. Icarus? Icarus. Ike Harris. Yeah, the character's name is Icarus or Icarus. Uh, oh, that Mark, oh, that Mark just Curry's name just is Mockery. Yeah. And it's it's kind of this bastardization of Mercury. Oh uh, my the gosh. Book's full of it. You see, the Aldo, if you if you uh <sighs> put a seemingly innocuous name together, say Mike, last name Roch, and you say it together, you, you there's <laughs> there's quite a potential for hilarity. <laughs> also Listen, I've I've heard it before. It's not, Oliver, not again, John. Ol- Oliver Klozoff, Amanda <laughs> Hug and Kiss, Phil, All right, Phil so, McCracken, Seymour uh, Butts. Meanwhile... Hugh, last name Jass. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, there's another woman who's kind of wandering around New York. Her name is Cersei. She is planning parties, trying to kind of con her way into a party planning career. Uh, events sort of conspire to put her in the same room as uh, Mark Curry. There's another woman, a weapons designer, who works with Stark named Thena, who is also there. And then there's this diplomat from this, I'm assuming it's a fictionalized post-Soviet Union republic. Yep. Whose name is Druig. He's obviously evil. These people are put into a room together and they start to show their superpowers, uh, Mark Harris, what's his name? Curry. Mark Curry, yeah. excuse me, moves really fast and stops these terrorists from shooting a crowd full of Mercury. people. Bingo. Druig winds oh. up using like latent mind control powers to get out of the situation. It's it's all kind of weird and convoluted. In the middle of this sort of encounter with the terrorists at Cersei's party, Iron Man confronts Cersei and asks her when she's going to register as as a superhero because she's a former avenger she has no memory of it it turns out that what has happened is this other member of the eternals group a an impish young being named sprite did some sort of pseudoscience nonsense to make the eternals forget that they were the eternals they've all started assuming normal human lives and sprite took this as an opportunity to go off and experience puberty like, it sounds like it's just me being crass, but no, his motivation for his mischief is, I've been 11 forever, and I really want to experience the carnal pleasures of the flesh. You know, with the exception of that particular motivator, what I like about Sprite is that he's a refreshing new villain. <laughs> I hate you, although. I'm like, where's the pun? Where's the pun? Where's... Oh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke equivalent of him tapping on your shoulder and going, ooh, ooh and you looked, and then the pun just snuck up on you right in your face. 
Yeah. <laughs> Although, Aldo, Aldo, you're a master of your craft. Never change. Never will. I don't, don't plan on I don't it. Care what, I don't care what Steven says. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sprite's weird sort of machinations result in an, a celestial, one again, one of these kind of Lovecraftian space gods, who's been slumbering under Los Angeles to wake up. And this prompts this huge conflict between the Eternals and the Deviants. A couple of Eternals that we haven't seen yet... Uh, who? What are their names? There's Ajak and Zuras. They show up along with Druig to try to speak to the Eternal. Uh, Makari gets involved and he winds up being this sort of like prophet John the Baptist of the Eternal who wins over the the deviants and kind of convinces them that they need to not fight anymore. All of the Eternals go off to build their own kingdom. Except for Druig, who goes back to rule his country, and Cersei, who just kind of, like, wanders off. And that's kind of the broad strokes of the plot. There's a lot of weird minutia, a lot of delving into the fictional history of the Marvel Universe. The fictional, like, creation myths of the Marvel Universe that I'm not really getting into here because there's a lot of it. I, what I, do we think of Eternals? I looked into the wiki at this and I was just overwhelmed. It's crazy. It's like bonkers. At some point, we're going to have to read Earth-X. No. And Earth-X is basically nothing but this. See, this... You're, you're absolutely right. I found it refreshing because I knew nothing about it. And it was a different group of heroes with enough familiarity that, like, I could, I could get into it, you know? And it got me really excited for the movie... That because you know they're gonna they're gonna do this they're gonna put this on the big screen and that even more than Guardians of the Galaxy seems like it's a, just a wild thing to do, and mm-hmm. so you know fingers crossed that Angelina Jolie does a good job because she's like the big star that's attached, and uh, yeah she's gonna I mean there's there are a lot of a lot other other famous people attached but she's gonna be Thena and Sama mm-hmm. Hayek's gonna be Ajax and then Makari is Lauren uh, Ridloff. Oh, I don't know who that is. She um, was on The Walking Dead. That's the biggest thing that she's in, and then a, you know, handful of other stuff, but like fairly unknown, which I, I think could be that could be cool to get an un, you know, because a lot of times with these movies, it's like okay, we we we've cast this you know big huge part, and it's someone famous that you already know, you know. So I'm excited to see what happens there, and then there are other other people: Camille Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, Sama Hayek, uh, a dude. Who Richard is Nanjiani from... supposed to be? Um, Kingo, who we didn't get in this story. There's a little girl who's going to play Sprite. Um, Gilgamesh. They're gender bending most of the characters. It sounds like. Yeah, Fastos. That's uh, Brian Tyree Henry. I don't know. I I think that this this potentially could be very cool. But we're not talking about the movies as much as we are about the podcast or the the podcast. I do want comic. I do want to put on my conspiracy theory hat for just a little bit. Ah, uh, the tinfoil one. Yes. Uh huh. Yes, I kind of wonder. So the Eternals are these pseudo-deities that were created as like the sort of alternate mythology for Marvel Universe. Uh, their original creator was Jack Kirby. Yeah. DC is also making a New Gods movie, which, again, features these sort of pseudo-deities created as this sort of alternate mythology to the DC Universe by Jack Kirby. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm conspiracy theory hat. No. Is this a Bugs Life ant situation? Or Armageddon. Like, is that the and, reason we're getting Eternals? Uh, uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact. Or freaking Alpha and Prestige Omega and, and Newts. Prestige and Illusionist. Oh, man. Prestige is a million times better. 
Man. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. No, but I, I mean, like, probably. There's a part of me that wonders. Probably, because I think DC is taking its cues from Marvel, and I th- or Marvel's like, you're going to do a New Gods movie? Well, you're going to be bad because all evidence so far points to the fact that it's going to be bad, so we're going to do <laughs> our Eternals movie oh. and leave you in the dust. Mm. Mm. I, I, I would argue against the all signs pointing to it being bad thing. That one part of Wonder Woman is not good enough to redeem a, a old, tired plot that's, you know, basically a worse version of Captain America. Also, I haven't seen Shazam. Also, it, the, the Batman v Superman there's, is just a pile of stinky garbage. Just To, to, be, just to be fair, most of what made Batman v Superman is no longer at DC. Right. Shazam was pretty decent, actually. A little bit too dark at places, but overall not bad. Um, New Gods has Tom King writing and Ava DuVernay involved as well, who, like, say what you want about Wrinkle in Time. That movie was pretty. And we need some weird visual garbage for the New Gods. And this is, okay, so this is actually kind of where I was getting at when I was talking about the parallels between the Eternals and the New Gods. Like, the New Gods are one of my favorite favorite comic book properties. I actually really like the weird mythology that was set up. It's my favorite Jack Kirby stuff. The Eternals, and I don't know exactly where this falls in in Jack Kirby's personal oeuvre, whether he created the Eternals before or after. I'll find out. Creating the new gods. But the Eternals to me feel like they're a less refined version of the new gods, especially, you know, these are the new gods as filtered through Marvel, as then subsequently filtered through Neil Gaiman, whose comic work I already kind of don't like. So, so I, I, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong as John is fact-checking, um, I do believe that this is before, because he didn't finish his original run of the Eternals. Um, mm. And so that's when he went over to DC yeah, Eternals was it's it's he came back to Marvel and they like, "Hey, you did a good job with New Gods over at DC. What can uh, what can you do for us?" And then Eternals. That makes sense ah, to me. Yeah. I was wrong. Now, I'm going to say I haven't read the original Eternals. This book did make me want to go read that because this book is again just kind of full of those crazy Kirby designs that I really like. Yes. And so I am curious to see what the original Eternals were like. This story is like, I don't know, I obviously I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. There are a couple of things that I absolutely hated. Overall, though, it was just like I was waiting for the good stuff to happen. It felt like this was a lot of table setting. Yeah, yeah. For seven issues, yeah, which is weird. Now, see, I liked it, but th- that is true, and I, it, it feels like you know bad guys were up to something, and then all of a sudden everybody was on the same team, and like still there's you know Druig's still a bad guy. But like they kind of all hung out for a bit, and then and then back to business as usual. You know, it, it was just kind of odd. I think I think part of the problem for me is the master plan, the master evil plan, doesn't come across very clearly. You really have to kind of sit and think there about it because Sprite does this whole thing. Yeah, because he wants and then, to experience. And then that puberty. quickly gets pushed aside with you know the the celestial waking up. Yeah, so the celestial wakes up because of Sprite tricking Mercaris, Marcari or whatever. Uh. But then, like the 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 father of the Eternals, then goes and just kind of mercs him, Sprite at the train. Yeah. Oh, Which, hey, it's the thing that I hated. 
You remember how the story ends with a kid getting his neck snapped? Oh, I mean, he was... Hey, Stephen, he's not a kid anymore. He never was. He was He's millions of years <laughs> old, but... Yeah. You know what? That doesn't work when you're dealing with Japanese pseudo-porn. It doesn't work here either. I know that technically she's 400 years old. On page, she looks like an 11-year-old. You still look like a pedophile. Man, you guys read different stuff than I read. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a little disturbing where it was like, hey, that Santa Claus Odin looking dude's gonna come and kill. Oh, you killed Peter Pan! You killed Peter Pan! No! Yeah, yeah. Uh, Odin snapped Peter Pan's neck and that's supposed to be the ending to... Uh, no, no, not a fan. Do not want. Tap out. I, I think the potential here, though, I'm, I'm intrigued. Oh yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential. I think my problem with that particular ending is I just didn't care. I, I'm yeah. not offended one way or another. I'm not. The part of you was like, yeah, yeah, he did screw things up so bad that like, what else would you do? Like, you know. But also, I mean, the kid just wants to get laid. I can sympathize. <laughs> I don't know that I love. The idea of the supervillain being motivated purely by the desire to have all of the awkwardness of adolescence, you know? Like, that was specifically... Well, they don't know any better. They don't know that most of it is bad. Like, 99.9% is crap. (laughs) He never made it to junior... He's been 11. He never made it to junior high school. He was always, like, right there at the end of Edge of Elementary School. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just... it's, It's like... I, I don't love it as as a supervillain motivation goes. Like, yeah. really, really, really wishing that you could... There's no way to talk about this without being crass. Really wishing you could have a boner isn't isn't something that excites me. <laughs> there were so many better ways to say that, and I didn't use any of them. Uh, I, I didn't even want to capitalize on that. I just let it happen. Aldo, just make a note um, where you are. <laughs> this is going to come up in Stephen's Senate confirmation hearing. And so... <laughs> yeah. Because, man, of all the sentences to be taken out of context, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think part of my problem with it isn't so much the motivation. I think if that was like a minor motivation, it probably wouldn't be so bad. Like, that's the thing that set him off and, he, and his quest to, you know, grow up. He discovered a greater thing that he cares more about. And that was just a stepping stone. I think part of the problem that like gets to me is how much of like a nice guy he acts like. And he's like, you know, I want to be there by her side and I wanted to protect her and I want to be cool. But, you know, she slept with everybody but me. Oh, my gosh. What a slut. Like, gosh. I wanted. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. I wanted the slut, but the slut didn't want me because gross. Yeah. But also, yeah. can you blame her? You look like you're 11. <laughs> yeah. Yuck. So yeah, that that part wasn't as intriguing to me as the as the you know having people kind of come to a realization that they've you know they've had a whole life together and they're you know they're heroes from you know forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I could have done with some more information about the Celestials and their overall goal. Um, you know, was it were the are the Eternals? Are they like just robots? Are they actually beings? It was kind of like right. now I'm kind of I need to reread this because I I don't know. They're like superpower I, I, Jesus yeah, I, allegories. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. <laughs> We've seen celestials actually. There are celestials in Infinity Gauntlet. 
Oh yeah, there were. Yeah, um, there were. They were totally there. The other thing is, if you, especially you, John, you've read uh, quite a bit of X Men in your day. That celestial that woke up just hangs out in like San Francisco. Yeah, and Magneto once controlled. That's it. that's where I knew that celestial from. Yeah, that's. Oh yeah, it's it it's in the background in a lot of different comics. Yeah, it just and hangs that's out. That's where there. the X. And the X-Men were there, weren't they? Yeah, that was when they At were on the West Coast. I think it was like Utopia just off of San Francisco. And so, yeah, you know, if you have a superhero team in the area, you're going to notice the big gold robot just standing. I like how giant... Humanity. I like how giant god robot mom had a crush on Iron Man. <laughs> that was a cute thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I also like how how their solution to slow this down <laughs> was to have Giant Man just kind of stand in front of the sun for a bit. Oh gosh, <laughs> that was silly. It's like, yeah. hey, you're useless here. Why don't you just like give us some shade? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So, are there powers that they all have in common, and then there are specialties? Like, Makari's yes. fast, Icarus can fly, but they all have... That appears to uh, be the case. Yeah, it just was... Yeah, so they all seem to have, like, strength and, you know, resistance to stuff and... Immor- and apparently mind control. Yeah, yeah. to differing Over levels. humans. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's really interesting, though, because, again, Jack Kirby, this feels like a concept Jack Kirby tackled in The New Gods. There were the Forever People, which was a group of... Five young new gods who, like, could come together and form the Infinity Man. Like, they got together and, like, sort of combined their powers. and Captain entered this sort of alternate. Yeah, like, this sort of alternate mental scape where they just swapped places with this super-powered uh, Megazord thing. And that's interesting because these Eternals, when they get together, they form the Unimind, which seems like a very similar concept. It's a very Kirby concept. It's very, very Jack Kirby, and so I want to like it because I'm biased towards liking things that Jack Kirby was involved in. Yeah, no, I mean our world today is, at least entertainment-wise, is is thanks to that man. So yeah, you want to you want to be his fan, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anything else we want to say about this about the Eternals? Boy, do we want to talk about the art? Oh, I Gosh. do not like it. I think that here, here's what, actually what I should I should clarify. Um, coloring, inking, even some of the like scenes where it's just Mark Curry as a regular dude having conversations indoors, like that didn't bother me so much. I hate John Romita Jr.'s uh, rendering of people. Like they they all have their proportions and the face is all off. It's like they took a normal person and just mushed their faces so that their jaws are too close to their foreheads and like they just they just all look off and their the posing is bad. Overall, the paneling is good, and there are some, like, you know, dynamic shots in here. Um, but I just do not like the way that he draws people at all. Didn't have a problem with the Deviants. The Deviants, uh, they, they were all right, um, you know, but just I do not like how he draws people at all. I don't know how you like Scotty Young so much, but not John Romita. Uh, apples and oranges? I don't know. Maybe? They're both like, fruits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like yeah. Scotty Young. I, I gotta say, I don't know if I own more than like one or two um, books of his. I don't even know if I do. 
maybe variant covers. I don't even know. But I don't know when you're raised on Looney Tunes, anything yeah. that's like cartoony and jokey and fun appeals to you. I don't see the connection. I don't see how one cancels out the other. Do explain. I mean, I don't know. They both just seem equally cartoony to me. Um, I mean, they're both art styles I could see on a Saturday morning. Let me two. okay. Let me let me explain what the way <laughs> I see it is that um, if you think about the Incredibles. Um, if you think about like Mr. Incredible's head, his forehead goes right into his nose. Like he's a big Roman helmet, right? People don't like really look like that, but the way that he moves, the way that he acts, his expressions, it's believable. And there's, it's the illusion of life. It's, you know, true art of animation, bringing life to something. So if you have a cartoonized and exaggerated, a, um, caricature of real life, but it is handled like the proportions are good. The you know the movement is good. Like the posing in, in you know Scotty Young's case or whatever. Um, if all of that is believable, then it still works. I do not like John Romita's faces. They just look bad, and a lot of them look the exact same. And you know, I, I like the like like you said. I'm looking at when you know Sprite dies here. The the way that the panels break up the the uh, dialogue here. That's fine. Like, dude knows how to make a comic book, clearly, and and has has forgotten more about drawing than I will ever know. Uh, I do not like the way he draws faces, and it's a real stumbling block for me to, you know, get really into a book. And having said that, I, I enjoyed this. I want to learn more about the Eternals, uh, particularly with the movie coming out in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think that there's potential there, and really it probably means that I'm going to have to read New Gods, and then I'll discover... Um, that uh, Stephen was right all along, and that you know that's the superior <laughs> of the, you know, <laughs> books. But I'm not going to tell him that he was right. I'm just going to. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that, that's only fair. And, like, Does that okay, make sense? Does clear, that make sense where I'm coming from? Like, you know, the the exaggerations done in a in I, a believable, lifelike way are better I, I than. I guess I I just don't agree with it because I mean, both Scotty Young and John Romita to me are really good at their craft. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not the biggest fan of John Romita Jr.'s art, um, in the same way that I'm not the biggest fan of Scotty Young's art, uh, so to me they're equal. To me they they I are see. equals. I so th- so that's why from my perspective, I don't see it. I I really like his. I like the art, and I think it, in this particular instance, because it's seven, you know, full sized issues, it kind of grew on me a little bit towards the end. Uh, to the point where, like, I the can't scale really... is definitely epic. Yeah, but like, I, I don't, I don't know. So at, at the end of the day, I ended up really kind of liking the art. Um, I think more so than like some of the other characters, but or other art uh, artists. But um, I mean, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but I just don't see it. Um, can I, can I maybe throw a curveball in here? Yes. I actually think I'm more on John's side in this case than yours. <gasps> I mean, that's fair. yeah like and i say this as someone who i like john romita jr um i do think that the art gets better towards the end of this book like i just pulled up issue seven and was flipping through and it's like oh i actually like this a lot more i think what and this is pure like hypothesis on my part pure guesswork but it kind of looks to me like john romita jr was brought in on this book to try to imitate kirby because Kirby has a very distinct look. Yes. Lots of big, chunky people. Lots of crazy machines. But Ramita 
is not really playing to his own strengths in this book so much as Mm -hmm. he's trying to imitate Kirby. And for a lot of this book where, honestly, the pictures are really mundane. Like, it's a lot of people sitting on couches talking to each other or a lot of people sitting in hotel rooms or hospital rooms talking to each other or a lot of people walking down the street talking to each other. Like, there's not a whole lot of superhero action so he doesn't really get to flex the big weirdness that makes Kirby so interesting. And issue seven, where you've got that brawl between Mockery and the Deviants, like, you get that big Kirby weirdness, and it works a lot better because now it's, you know, Romita Jr. channeling Kirby and having fun, where I don't think he's able to do both. He's not able to channel Kirby and have a good time drawing in the other book or the other the other issues that's my guess i could see that and so i I don't love the art in this book i think it's fine yeah it's it's not my favorite john romita jr stuff i would much rather like again this whole book made me want to go read the kirby stuff because it looks like they were going for kirby they got someone who could write weird like kirby can write weird in, in Neil Gaiman, they got someone who can draw weird, like Kirby could draw weird, but none of it quite clicks for me. See, I, I was okay with the writing. Um, it was a bit wordy, so I did find myself skimming some parts, but I like Neil Gaiman, and so uh, that that was, I came in with a bias, a, pr- a positive bias, you know, towards his works. I, I So I like Neil Gaiman, and uh, not surprised to read a book about, you know, new kind of gods in America from a writer who would go on to write a book (laughs) about new gods in America. Um, Called Good Omens. No. Did you guys watch that, by the way? It's American Gods. (laughs) American Gods. I know. I know. Steven. Uh, (laughs) I have not watched either American Gods nor Good Omens. Oh, Uh, you don't want to watch Good Omens was what I was talking about. Yeah, American Gods is not for for me, but uh, um, what I've seen, I think I'm an episode off of... uh, Good Omens, and it was pretty cool. It yeah. was pretty cool. So, so the problem I will always have with uh, Neil Gaiman books or writing is the highs are really good. The lows are mundane. They're not bad. They're mundane. They're boring. They're uninteresting. And this mm-hmm. book, when the lows hit, to me, they hit hard. Um, that's the problem I had with American Gods with the book. Uh, and that's kind of one of the... Coraline does not have that problem because the Coraline is kind of high all the time. Yeah. But, you have to be. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and Stardust, to me, also has those same problems. Uh, where, like, the, when it gets low, it gets low. I mean, in American Gods, goodness, there's, like, there's a whole section where the main character is just hunking down in a house in a, in a town in the middle of nowhere. And nothing, absolutely nothing happens. Uh... Except he finds a dead girl. <laughs> I wonder if this is why I prefer Neil Gaiman's children's literature to his books written for adults. That said, I, I did finally read Neverwhere, and I actually really enjoyed it. Which, But, like, I would much rather read Coraline or The Graveyard Book or Odd and the Frost Giants. I love it when he writes for kids, and when he writes for anybody older than kids, Neverwhere Accepted... I tend to zone out because I think, again, I think those highs are still pretty good, but those lows 
are I agree with you although yeah they're, they're not they're, they're not they're even not great yeah they're not even bad enough to like be so offensively bad that you quit the book they're just <laughs> mediocre oh, I was just reminded <laughs> I was just reminded of, of Kate McKinnon's character from yesterday where she's like oh I yeah hated it but I wasn't interested enough to go back and listen to it a second time to find out why <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yesterday is brilliant. It's it's endorsed by the two members of the Superhuman Registration Podcast who have actually seen it. That's me too. <clears throat> John, you have an excuse. <laughs> I have three, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. So that's kind of my problem with this book is there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's just a lot of exposition. Um, and it doesn't really work for me. There's a a lot of the stuff in the beginning. Is a little interesting, especially the whole stuff with uh, with Icarus and and Mark Curry, like that stuff was interesting. But it was kind of really hard to care about like Cersei and all this stuff. And I think part of why I kept pushing through, one, I have a podcast we have to talk into, uh, <laughs> but two, I think it's Good also motivation. the knowledge. I think it's the knowledge of the uh, of the movies coming out that kind of helped drive my interest in the book. And I think without those two factors, I probably wouldn't have finished this on my own. It's probably true. Yeah, the desire to be in the know is strong. So I read this book when it came out. Uh-huh. And, which is probably why in my head I associate this so strongly with Civil War. Is because I was reading it at the same time that I was reading Civil War and all of its tie-ins. Ah. And I remember being bored with it, you know, ten years ago. <laughs> when comics were all still pretty new to me. This was before I was really interested in Jack Kirby. I didn't come to Jack Kirby for a while. Yeah. And so, like, I was bored with it then. I came to it now and was still kind of bored with it. And nothing was too offensive until Sprite got his neck snapped. <laughs> so, I like, I don't... I don't know that I actually hated the book, but I'm definitely, like more interested in the stuff it alludes to than the stuff that happens in its pages. Yeah, and I think for me that's almost a crime considering the scope of the book and the stuff that like happens and and is mentioned that in the book is I expect it to, you know, especially when I think back on what happened in the book, um I should have been more excited while reading this. And I think yeah, if I yeah. was to pitch this book to somebody and be like Yo, you want to read a book about like gods that have been on Earth and like they're remembering who they are and and it's all mischievous because of like a, a, a younger scorn member and they also wake up a giant mom robot who's might destroy Earth when she deems like it when she deems it and they'd be like yeah throw me in I'd be like mm mm <laughs> <laughs> like this book it's a lot of ta- it is a lot of table setting I think Stephen yeah said best at the beginning you know. Yeah, but I I couldn't help seeing it as like a better version of Heroes as like a TV show, (laughs) you know, that it starts off as like any other procedural, you know, Mark Curry in the hospital in the ER and then all of a sudden, it's a cool supernatural show. Yeah, there's definitely potential here. Movie's going to be interesting. it's got a good cast, so I mean, it should at the very least be interesting. But I mean, do we know who's writing that? Script? Yes, I happen to have it here in front of me. The script, John. How? Screenplay 
My <laughs> you don't even re- watch the trailer. How do you have to split? <laughs> it's in Braille. I learned Braille, so I'm not actually watching anything. <laughs> Matthew and Ryan Furpo. Who are they, you ask? Good question. I don't know. They... Furpo. Who indeed? They have some uh, s- projects I've never heard of that look like they are... This this is their big break. I really hope that they do a better job than <laughs> the people who wrote um, Captain Marvel because it felt sophomoric and John Captain Marvel was not a movie made for you. Sure it was. <laughs> a, a cultural significance, cultural significance. Sure, we need to have we need what it did culturally. Yes, I'm talking about as like a movie with plot and dialogue and and like. The No Doubt song just felt forced. Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> Man, Steven, I can hear you boiling right now. <laughs> like, Dude, there's a reason I'm staying quiet. Oh. I, I don't want any part of this. Right now. <laughs> no, can we, can we say that it's a mediocre film as important as it is that we have it? And is like it was still enjoyable. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying like it, it squandered potential for more than what we've seen before. Is it wrong to have a higher standard? I agree with you. We, we talked to Captain Marvel. Man, he's out. angry. Man, is he counting to ten? And is he, like, squeezing a stress doll right now? Does he have a little, like, eyes bug out toy with my head on it right now? Is he just murdering a bobblehead? I'm actually just playing Ticket to Ride on my phone. Mm. You know, very professional. Thanks for being involved. Do you always try to get the uh, longest route? I always try to connect everything that I make into the longest route. Oh, yeah. Every time. Okay, good. Every time. Because it seems like a winning strategy. Because that's that, that little bit will put you over. Because there's always the one computer player who, like, only goes for the long, long routes. But if you connect to, like, a dozen little routes, then, you know, they can suck it. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else to say about the Eternals? I think it would make it. What's wrong with Captain Marvel? What's your big beef with Captain Marvel? Can we can we can we focus? I I like I like the the giant golden mom robot has a crush on Iron Man. That's cute. <laughs> that is pretty cute, actually. Mm. It's it's like if the Iron Giant had a crush on Hoga on on Hogar's mom. Oh, was Jennifer Aniston? That'd be perfectly understandable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my big takeaway from this. <laughs> also, the fact that I prepared that sprite pun, like the day I read this book, like hours in advance, days, oh, it was ready. With all of that coming out now, I think it's it's time to go to the ranking. All right, so currently on our list, we have sixty two stories. The top of the top is No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Hooray! And the very very bottom is. The Evil That Men Do, Spider-Man. These two stories probably fall somewhere in the middle. Let's start with Heroes for Hire. Where are you guys thinking? I'm thinking... I'm thinking at 36. Dude, that's about where my my scanning, like, landed. Yeah. I'm scrolling through. It's like, yeah, it's not as good as that. It's not as good as that. It's not as good as that. Where I start to kind of, like, question is when we get to the client, the Black Panther story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of think that's the area for Aldo. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I have no strong arguments either way. I think my only complaint here, or not complaint, I think my only thing is I would rather read Mary Jane Homecoming. I, I think I'd agree. Like, I would definitely rather read it, but could we really say that Heroes for Hire Civil War is 
significantly better or worse than Operation Rebirth. Uh, I can say it is better. Actually, no, I would rather read... Oh, really? I was actually just looking like, <laughs> I think I would rather read Operation Rebirth and Fatal Attractions and Vader Down. Oh, we're in the section of the list where all of these books are not as good as I want, or they're not ranked <laughs> as highly as I want them. Yeah. Look, Mary Jane Homecoming was just for you. It wasn't for everybody, but it was particularly it, it, for you. It's been reprinted. You can get it at Barnes & Noble right now. Proving that manga is always going to sell. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You get it in the same section of the bookstore as the Babysitter Club graphic novels. There you go. Wait, they have graphic novels? Oh, yeah. Raina Telgemeier has been adapting, or, well, she's not doing it anymore, but she adapted a bunch of the Babysitter's Club. Even Christie's wow. big idea? Probably. <laughs> is Claudia featured prominently? She was my favorite. I haven't read these. How, how do you know these names? <laughs> Three sisters. <laughs> no brothers. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I want to put Mary Jane Homecoming higher than this. <laughs> but that's not how much democracy works, is it? Aldo also wants to put Mary Jane Homecoming higher than this. I do. Well, I'm going to use my veto power granted <laughs> once per year to s tell you guys to go fly a kite. <laughs> No, we're all, I mean, in this area, like, I will I will acknowledge Mary Jane Homecoming, I think, works better as a story because it's not like a couple of days in the life of Heroes for Hire as this bigger thing is going on and as they're setting up stuff for the next part of the story arc in their own separate issue. I think, yes, Mary Jane Homecoming works better because what does she want? She wants Spider-Man to go to Homecoming with her. And what does she get in the end? Well, it's complicated. Oh, read more to find out. But don't Why take my word for make it. Make things so complicated, dude. John, you actually just sold me on the book again. Yeah, I think oh, Mary, Mary Jane Homecoming needs to go higher. No. Uh, yeah, I think we are in agreement of putting the, this below Homecoming. Yeah, but above Operation Rebirth. But above yeah. Operation Rebirth. Yeah, okay. and Fatal Attractions and Star Wars Vader. And significantly higher than Civil War. Signi significantly. <laughs> against against our list some is of so our weird protests. guys. Yeah. Okay, now let's get to the Eternals. I also want to point out that we never said the name, but the name for the Heroes for Hire arc is called Taking It to the Streets. Oh yeah, we, we said it last week when we recorded and I Ugh. sang the song, Ugh. but yeah. Are we just calling this Eternals? I think we just call it Eternals. Okay. Yeah, like I don't think it has a, stor uh, a, like a story arc title beyond that. The big deal here is it's the Neil Gaiman run on Eternals. Okay. Or how Peter Pan died. <laughs> the boy who never grew up because he died. Oh, gosh. Oh, that made me sad. The night Peter Pan died. I heard my mama cry that night. Oh, God. <laughs> so, this book's in kind of a weird place. Like, for me personally, like, this actually goes pretty low on the list. See, I think that there were there was a lot of good there. Agreed. But I will acknowledge that it might be that I found it intriguing more on the potential of what it could be, um, and I want to read more to learn more about these, you know, superheroes that I've never heard of before, instead of what I was actually reading. I, I did enjoy, you know, the whole like 
like Sprite's plan, you know, if that had been more focused, you know, um, it might have been a better story. So I will say that, that like, you know, maybe maybe where I think it should be should be dinged a little bit because of that. I will acknowledge that I'm more intrigued by the idea of it than what was actually presented. And also, I like Neil Gaiman, and, uh, and we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So where are you thinking of putting it, John? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so honestly, the place where it lands for me is actually above the client and below the search for eternity. <laughs> you said it right. I, I got you, boo. <laughs> I'm a bay. <laughs> My first place where I went was Marvel 1602 because it's the other Neil Gaiman story that we have on the list. I don't think there's... As, as much as I don't like the optics of Sprite getting his neck snapped by his grandfather or whatever, like, there's nothing in this story that offends me nearly as much as Captain America pretending to be a Native American. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, realizing that I'm scrolling up, I'm scrolling up, is it really, like, worse than Maximum Carnage? No, it's not. It's got more interesting ideas than Maximum Carnage had. It's definitely, like, as, as kind of forgettable as it is it's better than sweet christmas and that's where i start to pump the brakes a little bit pump, i think i like jam. vader down better hmm. yeah uh well no i <laughs> i guess part part of the thing is for me one I, I i think the art really did grow on me but two is i i as much as i don't like the lulls in the story i think the epic scale of of this thing the whole kind of cosmicness of it uh, giant robot mom with a crush on uh, Iron Man. Uh, like, that stuff kind of nails it for me as a pretty good book, even if yeah. it can be a little underwhelming. A little dry. Yeah. I think it just it, it didn't fully deliver on kind of how it built, you know? Yes. Um, and, and, you know, like you both said, it, it is it does set up a lot of stuff. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't know. I guess maybe... It's not that it doesn't deliver, but it just doesn't deliver what I wanted. But I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I just, I don't know. That's kind of where I felt with the book. I think, I, I, I agree with Aldo that it goes under the search for eternity. Because I'm looking at the other ones and I liked it better than everything after that. You know what? I, I think I'm going to agree with you. <gasps> like, again, we're in the part of the list where everything, <laughs> I feel like everything should be higher than it is. Um... <laughs> But I really do feel weird if we rank this lower than Heroes for Hire. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it was the better of the two books. Yeah. Um, I don't think... It has a similar sort of ambition as The Search for Eternity. Man, three for three, guys. I'm so happy for it. <laughs> it's almost like it's your birthday or something. Not yet. It is not his birthday, but yeah, it, month it feels away. like it should be. Actually, oh, when is this, this going to come out? August, like, something... All right, well, like the week before Labor Day, we can revisit the John is old. <clears throat> um, yeah, so anyway, I think it has a similar scope to The Search for Eternity. The Search for Eternity delivers better on an artwork front, and so I think that gives it the edge. No, I think that's actually a really good place for it. So right, right below? Right below The Search for Eternity, right above the client. Another like interesting premise that we didn't quite feel delivered right. So yeah, no, I think this is a really good neighborhood for it. Man, if I knew that I could incept people, I would have picked a better thing to use it for than tricking <laughs> Steven into 
ranking a comic book where I thought it would be. <laughs> well, John, I hope your big takeaway from here this is that you have untapped potential that you have yet to achieve. <laughs> so don't stop bettering yourself. You don't know what you can achieve. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my seminar. Uh, You're my okay. special guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for our next episode, we uh, looked over the list and realized we didn't have too many actual Avengers stories, biggest pop culture property in the world right now, arguably, and we haven't read a single comic with the Avengers title. So we are going to correct that by reading the story arc Ultron Unlimited. So this is from Kurt Busiek's run on the Avengers, uh, Avengers Volume 3. Issues 19 through 22. We're also going to get a little bit more recent, and we're going to read uh, the first story arc from the 2018 Domino series, issues numbers 1 through 6. This is by Gail Simone, who got name-dropped earlier this episode. Oh, yeah. What a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I actually forgot that Gail Simone wrote for Marvel. I'm so used to thinking of her DC stuff. I think her Marvel stuff is very few and far between, and this is her... I don't, I don't want to say jumping ship, but just switching gears for a moment and writing for Marvel. Yeah, um, I like her just sort of generally as a person. She seems like she's pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, I've liked what I've read of hers at DC. I'm not sure that I've ever read anything that she's written for Marvel, or even if she's written all that much. I don't think I've read any of her Marvel stuff. Yeah, so this will be interesting. I'm excited to, for it. I... I yeah, like Gail Simone, so I want to see how she's how she's holding up in, you know, the late 20-teens. Yeah, no, let's check it in with my good old cow pal, Gail. Oh. <laughs> Flipping through the first issue of Domino, I think I'm going to like it, uh, if if the art is any indication, because it looks pretty cool pretty quick, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, this is Greg Land art? Am I reading that correctly? Greg Land did a cover art. And Frank to, uh, Greg Land did the cover uh-huh. art. That's, that's why. I, I'm going to bring okay. this up when we do the actual episode, but I'm not a fan of Greg Land. <gasps> I always mix him up with Greg Horn, and I don't like either of them. <laughs> um, Greg Land is not, not a good person, my friend. Uh, I'm not familiar with who he is as a person. Which, which of the Gregs is it who traces porn? Greg Land. I think that's... Is that Greg Land? I'm I pretty it's Greg sure Horn. it's Greg Land. Now I'm not sure. Uh, I mix them both up, and again, not a, not the super fan of either of them. Oh yes, it is it is Greg Land who like traces a lot. I'm on the Wikipedia page. Greg Land has been accused of going beyond the accepted bounds of photographic reference, lifting images from sources that include hardcore pornography, and copying them into his pages outright with minimal Photoshop alterations to make the work appear to be an original drawing. Did he do uh, that that Spider Woman cover? That's just a nope. That's Milo Minara. Okay. I think I think you mean Milo. <laughs> Milo Minara, <laughs> who I don't know. That's for now. Uh, he he's. Like, that's what he does. He's an erotic artist. His artwork artist. is just... He's an erotic artist. From Italy. You get what you... Yeah. The land of eroticism. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Regardless, that's what we got on the docket for next time. Uh, hope you join us then. We're, we're actually... Can you recap that wild ride of what we're reading next? <laughs> <laughs> so we are reading... 2018... 
Domino, issues numbers one through six, and I lost the Avengers thing. <laughs> Avengers uh, Ultron Unlimited. Ultron Unlimited. I, uh, volume it's three. It's Avengers volume three, issues 19, 20, 21, and 22. There you go, buddy. All right. This podcast has gone off the rails. Woo! People listening to it are not going to know, but I have just cut about 25 minutes of audio of us just like, what are we reading next time? <laughs> I don't know. Let's read some Jessica oh, Jones. Is that Avengers? I don't know. <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We have been the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Although, this is the last time that you are going to be recording in the same time zone as us. Oh. How about that? Cash me outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means, you know, we, we squandered the opportunity and we never did our one year anniversary podcast in person. Because somebody had to go and get married and another one had to go and get twins. I didn't go and get the. I made them. <laughs> <laughs>